You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in Genesis 50 this morning, and maybe a couple more messages in Genesis as we wrap things up here. Genesis 50 and if once you find it, go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, last week, we looked at Joseph's encounter with his brothers after their father's death. After Jacob has died, Israel has died. And they were afraid that, they were, that Jacob, or I'm sorry, Joseph, was going to take revenge on them because of their actions against him as a young man. Remember, they sold him as a slave, and, uh, and, and they were afraid he was going to get revenge after Jacob died. So they come to him, and they're begging for mercy. And I love Jacob's words, or Joseph's words. I keep mixing them up this morning when Joseph said in verse 20, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. What a powerful truth last week about God's providence. When you really believe that God's providence is able to take the bad and, be, and produce something good from it, then no, no loss is too big to overcome, and, and no offense or wrong is too great to forgive, and no disappointment is bigger than God's promises. That was last week's message, and such an important truth because if you believe in God's providence, it will help you with those problematic puzzle pieces of life. And last week we read about Jacob and Joseph's death as we dealt with that truth. But I didn't spend a lot of time on their death. Um, but both deaths are significant. And both deaths have something to teach us, I believe. So this morning, I'd like to focus on their last days, both Jacob and Joseph dealing primarily with Joseph, but I want to read about Jacob as well, just because of how it applies and connects together. So we'll start actually, let's start in Genesis 49, and uh, my Bible automatically opens to Genesis 49 these days. This is message five or six that we've been referencing it, and uh, you know, some, sometimes my Bible just being laying there, it just opens, it just, I don't have to touch it, it's just automatic. So we've been in this passage quite a bit, but I want to begin reading here. In Genesis 49, verse 28, it says, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, that's Jacob, and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them, every one according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, and the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, for possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Turn over to Genesis 50 now. Genesis 50, and we'll read beginning in verse 22. Genesis 50, verse 22, it says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children 
of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, think about the connection. Think about the similarity from what Joseph says over to what Jacob said in chapter 49. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, under the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now one thing is absolutely, in my opinion, and it seems clear from the text here today, one thing is sure about both of these men, they finished well. They finished well. Both of them had their struggles. Jacob's struggles were due to his own choices. Joseph's struggles were because of the choices of others. But there's no question where they stood at the end. And the title today that I want to focus on is this, You Can Finish Well. No matter your past, no matter your mistakes, no matter your failures, no matter where you've come from, your story is still being written. Which means you can finish well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you'd speak to us through it. Help my voice, Lord, this morning. And, and just help me to, to be able to convey the truth in the text. And not the words that I would say, but the words you would have us to hear through the Holy Spirit helping. And I pray that your word would be the front and center. And that it would be about what you have said. And that you would speak to us, bless the reading of your word. We love it, we're thankful for it. We submit to it even now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. There are a few things more frustrating in life than something that begins with great promise but ends with disappointment. Um, I'm going to start with a trite example because it was foundational in my childhood. How many of you remember Fruit Stripes gum, okay? Fruit Stripes gum looked so good, even tasted good for about 15 seconds, but after 15 seconds, there's no flavor left at all. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't know Fruit Stripes, if you, if you like juicy fruit, very similar, it's a little bit longer lasting, but that's a promising start, a disappointing ending. Some stories are that way, whether in a book or maybe in a movie or a, a series, it starts off so well that the ending is disappointing. The second half is muddled and unclear. Food can be that way, can't it? You ever had something brought out to you that looks so good but doesn't taste like it looks? Uh, what looks so good doesn't always deliver on its promises. My wife and I have very different philosophies when we go eat to eat out. See, my wife is the kind of person that if she finds something she likes, she will order that every time the exact same way, no matter what, till the day that she dies. And the reason is she knows she'll like it and she knows she can't be disappointed. On the other hand, I am on the other side of the table. I want to order something new every time because I like to live life. 
I like adventure. I like trying something new. But I will admit in front of all of you this morning, I have had more disappointing endings than my wife has because not everything that looks good on the menu comes out tasting very well. In the poem that T.S. Eliot wrote called The Hollow Men, he said this, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. The theme of that poem is how so many die and, and how so many have died making no measurable difference in life. And it's a little depressing, but it's also true. See, think about it. When, when you hold a baby at the beginning of your life, and I'm excited about those with children and those about to have children in our church, it's an exciting time for our church. Uh, but when you hold that baby and you imagine what that baby might could become, I mean, you look at a little boy and think, what, what might he turn into? What, what God could do with him? You hold a little girl and you think, what kind of lady is God going to make her? And, and what difference is she going to make? And I get excited about the potential. It's just a bundle of potential. It's exciting. But for far too many people, though, what started with a bang ends with a whimper because of bad life choices. I mean, even the most, think about it, even the most hardened criminals that were, as a baby were held by those in their lives and they were held with hope and held with promise and nobody saw that end for their lives. Our text today has me thinking about good endings. It has me thinking about finishing well. If Joseph's story and Jacob's story as well have anything to teach, it's, it's this. It's not how you start that counts. It's how you finish. Both Joseph and Jacob um, had rough starts. And, and if they had followed their life trajectory, I mean, think back early on when Jacob is, is selling pottage or to Esau to get the birthright and when he is tricking and deceiving his father uh, to, to gain the blessing. I mean think about it if Jacob had continued on that trajectory his life would not have ended up well and, and if Joseph it would because of the choices made for him uh, by his brothers and by Potiphar's wife being left in prison if Joseph had followed on his trajectory his story would not have finished well and I would venture to say that many of us if we were in Joseph's position would not have finished well we would have likely given up on God's promises long before we had the opportunity to stand before Pharaoh but what I want to tell you today is they both overcame their their shaky starts to finish well and if God could help them, he can help you too. No matter how disappointing your story has been to this point, uh, everything can change as God begins to write the next chapter of your life. It is possible to finish well. And today I want to simply give you some thoughts from Genesis to help you finish well. We're jumping right into the thoughts here this morning. Here are some mantras, some thoughts to help you finish well. Number one, family matters. Your family matters. Both Jacob and Joseph prioritized their family at the end of their lives. Jacob spent a whole chapter giving his final blessing to his sons. And that means he knew each of them well enough to, with knowledge, be able to grant a blessing or a rebuke to them. It took serious thought and time and discernment. And listen, those who finish well will take time with their families. 
And I don't just mean at reunions, and I don't just mean at ball games, and I don't just mean birthday parties, although those things matter, but finishing well means that you take time to impart spiritual truth to the family that God has given you. And I may be focusing more on dads and moms right here, but I want you to notice that Joseph, what he did in 22 and 23, look at it again. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived in 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees. I love this picture. I remember when I was a kid and my, my grandpa and my papa were uh, on my mom and my dad's side. I remember as a kid climbing up into their lap and they would tell me stories or my, my grandpa would tell me jokes or he would pick at me and just make me laugh. And yeah, I just have good memories of sitting on the lap of my grandparents, especially of my granddads as they got to be older. That's the picture that we see right here. These would have been Joseph's great-great-grandchildren. It says they were brought up on his knees. What's interesting, before we get to that, is what Moses chose to record. Remember, Moses wrote the book of Genesis through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he was writing this for the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. And it wasn't at the beginning. It was sometime in the wilderness wanderings, in the wilderness journeys that, that Moses was writing this. But the message that Moses chose to record here through the Holy Spirit's inspiration is this. The greatest success in a family is spiritual success. The greatest success in a family is spiritual success. Think about Joseph's successes. I mean, he had rescued a whole generation from starving during a famine. Uh, he had risen to second in command, the prime minister of Egypt. I mean, a Jewish slave, second in command. His foresight single-handedly turned Egypt into the prominent world power of its time. But what did Moses write about? Moses chose to write about Joseph's great-great-grandsons sitting on his knees as he came to the end of his life. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing to think about. No matter how successful a person becomes, one of God's greatest gifts is our family. No one had ever, has ever gotten to the end of their life with their family around their deathbed and they're thinking, boy, I really wish I would have worked more. I really wish that I had, you know, I had more money to leave you or I wish that I had given more time to my career. No, at our deathbed, when, we are, when our family is standing around us, most of our regrets at the end of our life will likely be related to our family. Listen, your family and the family, your family matters to God. God started with a, the human race, with one man and one woman. He saved one family during the flood. Uh, he called out one family, Abraham, and he focused his attention on that family to work his kingdom plan and into the world. And that family would eventually produce the Messiah. During this church age, I know that God's kingdom work is done through the, the local church and the church strengthens families. But think about it, the strength of a church is dependent on strong families as well. It's like rain and, and evaporation. It's the weather cycle that one is dependent on the other. You can't have one without the other. My favorite illustration um, to illustrate the, the, the uh, codependence of the family and the church is, I'll just do it. Hey, Cameron, could you come right up here? 
and J Brother Jacob, could you come up here as well? And I just want you to sit back to back on the ground right here. Just back to back. There you go. Back right up to each other. Yeah, there you go. Feet up here. Feet up here, Cameron. Okay, so I, I would like Cameron, if you would, let's say that Cameron represents the family. Jacob represents the church. Cameron, I want you to try to stand up. Jacob, I just want you to sit there. J uh, just stand up without using your arms, Cameron. No, Cameron, Cameron, I said stand up if you, yeah, without using your arms. Oh, oh okay, good job. That's pretty good. Okay, sit down. Okay, so if a family's trying it on their own without the church's help, they're not, it's, it's, gonna, it's not going to be the same. Now, I want you both now, and if you need to lock arms, you can. I want you both then to stand up at the same time. Look at that. Okay, excellent. See that? Oh, you can give him a hand. That was excellent work. Good job. Good job. Oh, thank you. That's good. So, so I want you, I've used that illustration before because I want you to see that the church is God's work, is God's plan for the kingdom work on earth. And families are, are it is the, the root of the strength of the church, those, those families and their strength. And listen, if one tries to do it on its own, it's not going to have the same kind of strength. And if the other tries to do it on, it on its own, I mean, if you have a church but you don't have strong families, you don't have a strong church. Both are dependent on each other. And we live in a culture that is both not just trying to destroy the idea about the church, but also trying to destroy the idea about the strength of a biblical traditional family. You know, today's family unit is a mess. Biblical values are out the window. Divorce rates are far too high. Marriage is being redefined. And not only is the traditional family unit becoming more rare, it's also under attack. I mean, if you believe in a father and mother and children fulfilling their biblical roles, you are the bad guy now. I read about an FBI memo. Maybe you saw that this week. This FBI memo was leaked uh, just this week, and it was, they, were, they were seeking to identify, and it was targeting specifically the Catholic Church. They were seeking to identify radical traditional Catholics as potentially racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists. The news story summarized the memo's view of extremists this way. The extremists would be among those beliefs which distinguish the bad Catholics from the, the good ones are a preference for the traditional Latin mass and pre-Vatican II teachings, which, were, which would be before 1960s, and, listen to this, an adherence to traditional Catholic teachings on sex and marriage, which the memorandum glibly describes as anti-LGBTQ. Now, so the point being made is any stance that identifies with biblical marriage or biblical roles could be labeled as violently extreme by the highest law enforcement agency in our country simply because it's in opposition to what someone else defines as acceptable in marriage and family. You start to understand that that is the mindset of those in our country. Then we start to realize that a biblical stance on a family is likely to make you a target based on where our country is headed. But if there's ever been a time that the world needs to see a biblical family and what it looks like and how it operates, it's right now. 
not in a hateful way, not in a condescending way, not in a superior way, folks, but in a biblical way. And I would challenge you to stop defining success by the size of your house or the newness of your vehicle or how impressive the vacations are or how high the academic achievements are or how, how much prowess you have on the basketball court or anything else and let your success be defined by the spiritual priorities of your family. Because if, fa if success in your family um, is a matter of spirituality then, how successful are you? If that's the measurement of, of success in life, then how successful is your family? If it's about spirituality, if it's about godly priorities, it's, if it's about biblical roles, and listen, I, I know they use the word traditional, but I exchange that with the word biblical because we're just trying to follow the Bible. We're not out there trying to hate on anybody. We're not out there trying to be extreme or violent. We're simply sticking to what the Bible has taught ever since we've had it, and, and the, we haven't changed on it. Others are changing, and we're not trying to be hateful or condescending, but we're not going to compromise on our view of the, bi the biblical family simply because, it, because it's no longer popular. In my experiences, the most spiritually successful families have parents that love and walk with God, they emphasize God's word, they prioritize God's house, and they spend quality time building relationships with their children that are centered around Jesus Christ. If you want to finish well, you can. But fa your family will have to take a priority. Men, that means that those of you that are, that are maybe working a career and you're trying to make it happen, and you're working hard, it, may, may, it might mean that you have to take a step back from what you're trying to accomplish in your career so that you can prioritize your family. Moms, same thing with you. I know that a career, many, many families have, have a mom and a dad both working, but it could be, I mean, when you think about the, the public school system these days, it could be that a mom that, that has the opportunity to may think, you know what, I would like to invest full time in my children. I believe that God blesses that. I'm not saying that's the answer for everybody, but in this day and age, it's certainly something to consider. Listen, if, you, if spiritual success is, the, if success is defined by spirituality, then our, and our families matter, then we've got to begin prioritizing and focusing on a spiritual mindset within our families. So family matters. If you want to finish well, make your family matter. If you want to finish well, God's word matters, number two. God's word matters. Look at Genesis 49 again, verse 29. Look what Jacob said. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Say, okay, what does this have to do with God's word? Well, Jacob is giving burial instructions here, but this wasn't about tradition. This wasn't just about, well, that's the burial plot and that's where I've got to be buried. No, this was about location. See, Jacob knew that God's promises were, were going to be given to Israel in Canaan. That's where God's promises were. God had promised Abraham land. And at this point, listen, the only claim that Israel had to Canaan was a burial plot that Abraham had purchased for Sarah. And small as it was, though, it was the claim to the land that God had promised Israel. Even in death, Jacob believed that what God had said, God was going to bring the family back to the promised land. 
Joseph knew this too. Look over in Genesis 50 again, verse 24. Here's what Joseph says. And Joseph said, verse 24, unto his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land under the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. See, Joseph believed the same thing that Jacob did. He knew that God had promised Abraham way back when in Genesis 15. So keep your place in Genesis 50. Let's read that. Turn over to Genesis 15. I want to look at this promise. This is the, uh, the second time that God comes to Abraham and gives him the covenant. And remember, he had made promises to Abraham. And so he comes and reconfirms at times. He comes and reconfirms his covenant with Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 15 uh, in verse, uh, verses 13 and 14. This is God speaking to Abraham. Verse 13, he said, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. What do you think, what country do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Egypt. Thy country, he says, thy, I'm sorry, thy, thy brother, sorry, thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterward they shall come out with greater substance. So this is, a, this is about 200 years before our story in Genesis 50. And this is God promising in Genesis 50 that, or Genesis 15, that God was going to bring them out of Egypt back into Canaan. Look at Genesis 48. Genesis chapter 48, verse 21. I want you to notice what Jacob says to Joseph right here. Genesis chapter 48. We're moving around a little bit. You got to keep up here. Genesis 48, it says in verse 21, and Israel, this is when Israel or Jacob is giving the promise to Joseph. Look what he says to him. And Israel said unto Joseph, behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. You get the sense that Jacob and Joseph both firmly believed that when God says something, he always delivers on his promises. I mean, Joseph, think about it. Joseph had lived in Egypt. By the time we get down to the end of his life, Joseph had lived in Egypt for 93 years. I mean, he was sold as a slave when he was 17. He dies when he's 110. That's 93 years. So 93 years of his life, he's essentially been an Egyptian. He's lived in Egypt, he's served in Egypt, he's ruled over Egypt. The, the culture and traditions of Egypt are very familiar with him, to him, and yet he held on to a promise made a couple of hundred years before that someday God would lead them home. See, Joseph was a man of faith in God's word, and he was a man that because he had faith in God's word, he continually had hope in God's promises. He obeyed it and he believed it. And our commitment, listen, our commitment will be noticed and perpetuated by our children. Notice, Joseph is saying the same things that Jacob said when he died. That means that Joseph looked at his dad and said, while he really believes this promise, and if he really believes the promise, I'm going to believe the promise. Listen, your priorities, moms and dads, your priorities will become your children's priorities. 
your belief that the submission to God's word is the best life, that will impact your children. That's faith. But I want you to remember there's an element of faith that often gets forgotten. That's Hebrews 11. It says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, if you want hope in your life, you've got to place your faith in God's word. That's the substance of hope. And here's something that I think maybe we forget is that Joseph's faith in God's word made a difference in his daily life. And I don't just mean that he continued to obey, which he did. I mean that Joseph's faith in God's word, and listen, don't check out here. Joseph's faith in God's word allowed him to have hope in the darkest times. As a slave sold by his brothers, Joseph sat in that pit. And I believe he had hope that God is in control and he keeps his promises and I'm going to trust him. I believe that as he was in Potiphar's house and he was being lied about and falsely accused, that Joseph held on to the hope that he had in God's promises. And I believe that as he sat in a prison cell and wondered what was going to happen next, that Joseph continued to hold on to God's word and God's promises. He knew that something better lies, lay ahead for him. And I believe this is something that we've got to work on with the next generation. See, God's word does lead to the best life. It prompts his blessings in our lives. It gives us peace and it gives us comfort and it should be obeyed. Absolutely. But here's some news. It's not always easy to do right. And just because you do right, it doesn't mean that life gets easy. And I believe that's where the disconnect with the next generation comes. Because they think, if I just obey, things are going to be easy. But obedience sometimes means persecution. Sometimes obedience means a pit. It means a prison cell. Folks, we've got to be so committed to God's word that even when it's hard, our children see in us, the next generation see in us a steadfast joy and hope that one day it will be worth it all. See, too many of us operate like Eeyore Christians. Oh, bother. Just obeying God and trying to do right. It's, it's a burden. <laughs> But it's my lot in life. It's my cross to bear. Wait. Faith is supposed to produce hope. And if anybody could have had a complaint about his lot in life, it was Joseph. But Joseph remained hopeful. And listen, that's a message that Israel needed as they're walking through the wilderness and they're reading what Moses wrote about Joseph. They're thinking, wow, Joseph had hope. Because they were about to spend a couple hundred years as slaves in Egypt. And then after that, Moses would lead them out of Egypt. And for 40 more years, they're going to be walking around in the wilderness. They needed hope. See, listen, obedience to God should not be a drudgery of faith. Faith should produce hope. And Joseph was saying here, one day God will visit you and he will lead you out. And it may be hard today, but one day, I promise you, it's going to get better. And listen, we're still doing that. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting for our hope. We've been waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And if we simply obey by walking through the motions, going through the motions, listen, then we are teaching those that are watching us that following the Lord is just a burden. 
All it is is obedience. All it is is just faith in God's word. No, part of faith is hope. That someday when Jesus Christ returns or when you go to him, you'll be free from sin and you'll be free from death and you'll be free from the pain and the misery of this human existence. It will send a different message to the ones coming behind us. And here's the message that a life of obedience is sometimes hard, but the hope we have makes it worthwhile. If you want to finish well, make God's word matter in your life. When you're faced with a decision, go to God's word. I mean, don't go to a friend first and don't, don't just seek counsel from other people. Start with God's word. You know, God gave you your own copy of the Bible. And as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And you can seek God's word as easily as I can or anybody else in this room. Go to God's word and find out what you're supposed to do. Put yourself and your children and your family in a position to hear God's word. Read it as a family. Prioritize it when it's taught and preached. And listen, we have a Sunday school hour here. And, and if you've got children, make sure they come to the Sunday school hour. Let them be with those teachers that are studying all week and pouring themselves into those lessons. Because I'm telling you, when I stand up here and I preach, my aim is typically adults. And sometimes children aren't necessarily getting it all. But listen, that hour of Sunday school is absolutely important. And you may think, well, I'm an adult. I don't really need Sunday school. Are you saying you know everything you need to know about God's word? Come, make it a priority. We, we've got opportunities to learn and grow. And if you want to finish well, and you want a life that matters, you want to leave something that matters, prioritize God's word. Do it at home. Deuteronomy 6 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. God's word should be a part of your home. It should be a part of your daily life. And when submission to God's word is hard, I'm telling you, if you make God's word a part of your daily life, and when things come up that are hard, it won't just be a drudgery, it'll give you hope. Because you know that someday it's going to be better. Finishing well means family matters. Finishing well means God word, God's word matters. And finally, finishing well means legacy matters. See, legacy is what you leave for those coming behind. Jacob left a legacy when he passed the blessings to God to his sons. That was bigger than financial inheritance, by the way. But look at Joseph's legacy in verses 25 and 26. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And you say, well, that's a fun way to end a, a, the first book of the Bible. No, it, this is important. See, Joseph gives some unusual instructions. It would have been typical to put somebody of Joseph's status into one of the pyramids. Into one of those Egyptian tombs. It would have been, that would have been a tradition. It would have been very natural and appropriate. But how interesting that he wanted his body to be accessible so that when Israel was freed from Egypt, they could carry his body to Canaan. 
I mean, that, you say, that's just strange. I mean, when, think about it, though. When Moses finally led the children of Israel to go out of Egypt and go back to Canaan among, amidst all the chaos. I mean, they're running around. Remember, I mean, they're trying to get everybody out. They're trying to pack their stuff. They're trying to go into the Egyptian homes and take their stuff because they have greater substance according to the promise. They've got all these things going on. But among all the things they remembered, one thing they didn't forget, they did not forget Joseph's bones. This was a big deal to Israel. What's interesting is most people believe that the coffin was displayed in Egypt somewhere. So just think about it. For decades, Joseph's bones in that coffin were a reminder to the children of Israel that someday God is going to take us back to our homeland. I mean, Israel will be set free and we're going to be able to reclaim God's promises. I mean, think about it. You're a slave and you're walking to go work on a pyramid again for the 300th day in a row without breaks, without rest. You're making your own bricks. Everything's hard. Everything's difficult. You're leaving your family at home and working from sun up till sundown every day with not a vacation, with no time off, with no water breaks. And you walk by this coffin and you know what it does? It reminds you, God keeps his promises. Joseph, Joseph asked us to take his bones back to Canaan. And I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what's gonna, what it's going to look like. But I know this, that when I look at that coffin, it reminds me that God keeps his promises. Listen, that's the legacy that Joseph left. You can count on God to keep his word. I mean, what a legacy to leave those coming behind you. Dads, I'm telling you, that's a better legacy than a million dollar inheritance. I'm not saying I would say no to a million dollar inheritance. But listen, if I'm going to leave something for my children and I'm going to leave them either a million dollars or a love for God's word and his promises, I'm telling you a lot better for my children would be that they have nothing in the bank account, but they've got a love for God's word and his promise. And they believe that he keeps his word and they can count on it in the darkest times. I'm telling you, that's a legacy worth leaving. Moms, a legacy worth leaving. Yes, a 4.0 in high school, that's great. But I'm telling you, if they get all the academic achievements and all of those accomplishments, but they don't love God and his word, that's not a legacy worth leaving. There's a way to do both. But if you're choosing, I'm telling you, priority number one, I'm going to leave a legacy that reminds people coming behind me that God is a great God and God loves us and God keeps his promises. Young people, I think about in our youth group even, listen, you've got a legacy. You're making your legacy right now. And some of you, you could leave a legacy that says, I'm the cool, funny kid who always has a joke and makes everybody laugh. That's not a terrible legacy to leave. But if, if, if that's the legacy you leave and you don't improve or help somebody coming behind you to think that God is a good God and a walk with God matters, listen, you being the funny guy or the funny girl or the cool kid in the youth group, that's not going to make a difference leave a legacy that matters as a church member what is your legacy at Eastside Baptist Church what will your coffin be what are you going to be leave behind as a reminder to other people will it be a spiritual legacy when people think about you are they just thinking oh he's the funny guy when they think about you are they just going to think oh she's the nice friend that I can call anytime listen those aren't bad things but, but is there something about what you're leaving that will be spiritual or helpful in somebody's life? 
I mean, as a parent, I mean, leaving a nice car, I wouldn't mind leaving a nice car or a nice house or a nice bank account for my children. But of all the things that I can leave with my kids, I want them to say first and foremost, my dad loved God and he believed that God's promises were real and he had faith in God's word and he loved his family and I know he wasn't perfect, but he lived in such a way that he's leaving me with something that matters. Listen, our legacy should be more than something you can hold in your hands. It should be something that reminds you of God. I want my children to be more committed to church because of my example. I want them to love God's word more because of how I lived. I want them to value doing right because they saw me do right. I want them to have a spirit of godliness and gentleness because they saw that in me. I want them to grow up and love their spouses the right way because they saw me love my wife the right way. And that's just me as a dad, me as a Christian. Listen, I want everybody that I know to desire a better relationship with God because they knew me. I want to leave every conversation with somebody feeling like they were better because of our talk. I want this church one day to be better and more committed to Christ because I was the pastor, not in spite of it. And that's not a matter of pride. That's not a matter of ego. That's just because all of us leave a legacy. All of us will leave a coffin. And when you look at that coffin, it reminds you of something. You will leave something behind someday. And when people look at it, they'll be reminded of what defined you. And if you want to make a difference, let what defines you be something spiritual. You can leave a legacy that matters. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. To finish well with a lasting legacy. Prioritize your family and God's word. To leave, to finish well with a lasting legacy. Prioritize your family and prioritize God's word. And before you think I'm putting too much stock, turn over to Hebrews 11. You might think, well, you're really focusing on the end of their life, but really what it was about was the rest of their life. And I'm not really sure why this is such a priority. Well, it's, it's biblical, Look at Hebrews 11 and read two verses here. Hebrews 11, this is what some call the hall of faith. Old Testament saints and their exploits and faith for God. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 21 and 22. This is about Jacob and Joseph. Notice what the writer of Hebrews points out about what defined their faith. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. So, I mean, if it was me, I might say, by faith, by faith, Jacob, um, you know, he, whatever his exploit was, you know, his greatest exploit. By faith, Joseph, you know, I'm thinking about saved a nation. <laughs> That's my, that might be what I say. But no, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, he blessed Joseph and his sons. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, 
he made mention, hey, someday you get to go back to Canaan. Listen, so just in case you think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, what matters is today. Well, yeah, what matters is today, but what you do today makes a difference in how you finish. And honestly, what the Bible says about these two men is they finished well. Listen, it doesn't matter how you start. Now, it does matter how you start. But in spite of how you've started, it matters more how you finish. And it's not too late, listen, for you, even you, to finish well. And maybe you think, well, my story has just been written. No, if you're breathing, there's another chapter ahead. And God can make it the best one yet. And one of the least favorite parts about pastoring is doing funerals. I mean, it's no fun. But it's, at the same time, it's an honor. Because of those that finish well. I think back on our, our first couple of weeks here, and I, you know, Dahlia's family's here, Dahlia Johnson. And a young lady in our church who passed away of cancer a few years ago. And her friends, I remember when her friends, young people... And they got up and they sang right over here. They sang a song, Finish Well. You know, this young lady who had given her life to God, I believe she did finish well. And, and not just Dahlia, that's the one that comes to my mind, but I think about all of the others that we've done. I don't want to mention them all, but how most funerals that I've got been able to do have been about people that finish well. They left something that mattered. And, and we have some in our church right now, folks, we have some right now that may not be far from a funeral service. I mean, some that may be looking at weeks or maybe a month or maybe in their last days. And, and what I look at it, I think, man, I'm thankful that they've finished well. Thankful that they're leaving a legacy. I think of Craig Chambers and I don't know what the future holds for him, but, but he's made a lasting impact and he's leaving a legacy. And he's finished well. And there are people in our church that finished well. And, and, and my question today is, will you finish well? See, we need to imagine what I want my funeral service to be like. I need to imagine what I want people to say about me when I die. I want to imagine, we need to imagine what the coffin, not the physical coffin, but what the legacy I'm leaving looks like. Uh, what do I want my family to honestly say about me in that day? What do I want my church, the fellow church members of Eastside to say about me? Will, will those who knew me say his family mattered and God's word mattered and he's leaving a legacy that matters? That's what I want said about me in my final day. One thing that we all have in common is this. We will all finish. The difference is not all of us will finish well. Are you willing to prioritize what you should do over what you want to do so that you can finish well? Because let me just remind you today, it's not just how you start that counts. It's how you finish. And most of us still have chapters waiting to be written. And in spite of what your past looks like, and in spite of the wrongs that you've done, and in spite of the failures that you have committed and the mistakes that you've made. All you have to do is turn a page and God can start writing something new.
Listen, maybe that page for you this morning is you say, I've never had a relationship with Christ. If you've come this morning and you don't know that you have a relationship with Christ, maybe you've come and you're a sinner and you know you're a sinner and you know that you and God aren't right and there's something there that you've never really had a relationship. Let me just tell you this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are a sinner just like everybody else in this room. But the, and, and that wages of, the sin, of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. You deserve to be separated from God because of your sin. But he doesn't leave you there. Meaning, yeah, that chapter is written, but there's a new chapter laying ahead. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And maybe your book to this point has been chapter, and every chapter is a failure. Failure, failure, sin, mistake, failure, failure. Well, if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ, by faith, humble yourself before him, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge the separation and place your faith in Jesus alone, he can turn the page and write a new chapter that says, new, new creature, New chapter, no more fail. I mean, you'll still sin, but your defining word doesn't have to be failure anymore. Your defining word can be salvation. It can be the word hope. Christian, maybe you've kind of got in your mind, you've focused on things that aren't going to matter as much in the end. And maybe because of work, you've left your family kind of behind and Maybe because of your priorities, God's word has taken a back seat. And maybe you've not been thinking so much about the spiritual legacy as you have been your inheritance or the physical things. And what you have begun to think matters the most really in the end isn't going to help you leave a legacy that makes a difference. Maybe it's time to reprioritize what matters the most. Listen, it's not just how you start. It's how you finish. And it's possible for anybody with God's grace and help to finish well. Let's stand together. We'll have every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage you this morning. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you were to die today and you don't know where you'd spend eternity, would you, would you just step out and have courage to talk to somebody? We'll have our folk, I mean, plenty of our folks will be praying you know, they got to work. And I believe there's probably some folks in here who don't know if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven. Listen, you can get that settled this morning. There's no reason to wait on it as God works on you and prompts you right now. Why don't you take a step out? Have the courage. We'll have, we have men that can pray, pray with men. We have ladies that can pray with ladies. And we won't embarrass you. We won't point it out. We just want to be a help to you this morning. Christian, have you begun focusing on the wrong priorities? And maybe you want to finish well, but your priorities don't reflect it. And maybe in some area, maybe your family life, your personal devotion life with God's word, maybe the legacy that you're going to leave right now, it's not the kind of legacy you want to leave. Maybe today is the day that you say, you know what, I want to finish well. 
And I know that God can write new chapters, and I want him to this morning. However it looks in your life, would you just allow the, word, the Lord, through the Word and the Holy Spirit, to, to do some work in you? Be willing to respond, be willing to humble yourself, and say, you know, this is something that I need work on in my life. God, would you help me with this? Just humble yourself before him. He can do the work. Father, I pray that you'd work in us and do, and do what only you can do. I pray that you give us the courage to step out as needed. We love you. We need you. We cannot, Lord, we cannot do this without you. We need your help every day. And I pray that we'd be a room full of people that finish well. That family matters. God's word matters. God's house matters. Our legacy matters. I want to leave something that matters. Lord, help us all. Speak to our hearts. Give us, give us wisdom and what steps to take in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.